Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Partner Running Show. A show for runners and soon to be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Partner Running Show is hosted by a couple on the run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. And now, on with the show. Well, welcome to the Partner Running Show on this uh, 24th or 23rd of March 2015, uh, no matter where you may be in the world. I'm uh, Andrew O'Brien and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my wonderful co-host Sue. Good morning, Sue. How would you be? Well, I would be fine. My leg's still a little bit sore after our running on the weekend in the uh, roller coaster run up in the Dandenongs in Mel- oh, just out of Melbourne. In Victoria, my quadriceps are still remembering the uh, the course. Is that a good way of putting it? <laughs> it is a good way to put it. Um, I suppose there's, there's always an interesting uh, interesting run when it's your last real big training run before your A event, and so um, it brings with it that it brought with it that challenge of uh, wanting to enjoy and get around the course, but at the same time uh, not wanting to take a tumble and you know, miss out on the big race. So um, I think that probably added a little bit of the extra soreness by trying to maybe be a bit more careful. Put, put the brakes on you. We might, might otherwise have been. Mm. But anyway, um, so on, the, on today's show, our feature topic is uh, the uh, Couple on the Run book, Eight Marathons, Eight Countries in Eight Weeks are Revisited. So uh, it's a couple of years now since we've done that. We're going to go back and have a, a little bit of a chat around the story. We don't give too much away because we still want people to buy the book. <laughs> um, but also... Um, some of the the whys, some of the challenges, and some of the what's different now compared to to when we we did that. So it's our feature. Of course, we'll always uh, we will also have uh, our regular segments, having a look at the the news in over the shoulder. Uh, uh, ask Sue uh, some something of interest there, and uh, finishing off the show with just a bit of a peek at the weekend ahead. Oh, and not to mention, of course, we're going to do you know, a bit of a review of the roller coaster, which was. Mm. Uh, yeah, once again, a spectacular event. So, without any further ado, let's get right onto it. Over the shoulder, a quick review of last weekend's running. Well, a highlight looking at the running news over the last weekend or so has been the number of half marathons that have been on around the place. Just uh, increasing number of events in the in the US in the UK in particular, but also just in general, a lot more half marathons uh, on. And part of that is that this event seems to be the go-to event, the popular number that many runners take on as a challenge. And it's probably the distance event that you can, with a reasonable amount of training, a fairly short potential amount of training, finish and maybe even recover without the aches and pains so much that um, marathon distance or anything longer than that half is going to elicit. One of those massive events was um, not quite the the half marathon distance, but in Melbourne, the run for the kids was on uh, over the bridge, over the body bridge, just one of those magnificent events that has inspired a community to start running and the number of couples of families out there 
of people deciding to take this on, this about 15.5k event, as being their particular annual challenge. And we've seen it grow from its inception to now it is, well, without a doubt, the biggest fun run on in Melbourne. And uh, it's not quite rivaling the city to surf, but up there in popularity. So the half marathons in spring in the Northern Hemisphere and in autumn, the run for the kids in Melbourne was on on the weekend and uh, our local newspapers were littered with photos of people out there enjoying the beautiful Melbourne sunshine and it was a magnificent day for that event. Um, some other news, and talking about from participation in half marathons, there's someone running one super fast and that was Mo Farah um, in the news for being the first Brit to ever run a sub 60 minute um, half marathon. He did that in Lisbon and also apart from the British record, the European record as well. And turning 32 or turned 32 yesterday, uh, despite rain, wind, not perhaps the most perfect weather conditions, that's a great uh, achievement. Interestingly, he had a, a dabble or was dabbling in the marathon and then has come back to that half marathon distance. So whether some of that endurance training has carried over into a faster half marathon time, that's an interesting one. Just another uh, snippet of half marathon mania, I suppose. The Sydney Morning Herald half, which is a huge run, is on on May 17th. And uh, local newspapers in, the, in New South Wales our state there is starting to spruik this event and put in lots of different characters and different interest stories. One of them, Roger Hilston, I thought this was really good, 75, this will be his 23rd consecutive um, half mar Sydney half marathon and he still runs up to 10 kilometres most days after taking up running at 40, that's what we like to hear. Um, now. Someone who did suffer a little bit of an injury during his marathon challenge was Rob. Now, Rob, um, with his surname, it's one of those strange names um, that I'm not going to have a hazard at pronouncing. Strange for you. Yeah, strange for me. We're not strange yeah. For you. Um, running around Richmond Park in, or just out of London, trying to, well, he started off to set, a, not a record exactly, but running a marathon every day. Uh, raising money for his charity and we we did have a feature on him before um, he had a film crew following him and then through the year he suffered a stress fracture which he was told to take two months off running and there was speculation was the dream over okay um, perhaps sort of pack up and go home forget about it but no, he healed quicker than anyone could have thought possible and suddenly, well, he changed his goal to running 400 marathons in a year and he has completed them. So there you go, talking about taking on these challenges and actually seeing them through. Another interesting little news story that I saw was about Mick Rees, who is one of the coaches of the Indigenous Marathon Project, which is Rob DeCastella's um, pet project as well, um, trying to get Indigenous kids running, and New York Marathon being one of their targets, but from no running, finding all about the 
mental challenges as well as the physical challenges of training themselves for something that is very demanding. Well, he's decided to put himself in the firing line and he is going to run the 50-kilometre event at Canberra running or at the Australian Running Festival in Canberra on 10 months training. And it sort of did come as a surprise, but then I suppose not really, that he's never run this sort of distance before and he's gone from being a non-runner to now trying to run this and I think it's a really valuable thing for coaches to experience actually feeling what it's like to be one of their their pupils no running experience what does it feel like to get over the long runs what does it feel like to deal with the fatigue the issues of nutrition all of the other things that his group is actually feeling and he's taken on this despite the demands of working travel young family some of the things that we as ordinary everyday runners do have to deal with not the elite that have got other management uh, facilities to help them but he wants to become a better coach and understand what his group are going through and I just I think that's great I think that really does um, help your coaching to, to feel what it's like to be in the shoes of your participants because a lot of I know this is one of your little um, things too is a lot of elite runners become coaches but they've not quite experienced what it's like to be a beginner runner and have to deal with the workload set you when you've got other challenges going on in your life and you don't come from that level of elite both recovery and experience and ability to get your targets so I thought that was quite quite um a nice little touch there. Now, the other thing that was in the news this week, an article about the world's most expensive marathons. And the Marine Corps event in Washington was used as an example where they gave a breakdown of how the money was distributed or how much it cost per entrant for each of the different facilities available out on the course. So, for instance, of a $100 entry fee at Marine Corps Marathon, $36 of that went on um, buses, rubbish, um, toilet facilities, all of those components that make up um, course operations, I suppose you describe it as. Then $34 went on entertainment and advertising, uh, the pre-event expo, enhancement of the course facilities for the spectators and participants. $34 went on security. 22 went on staffing, staff salaries, utilities, vehicles, etc. $13 went on the medal, on pins, t-shirts, other sort of uh, adornment or bling, as I think they described it in this article. $12 went on food, and that's food for aid stations um, and whatever they, they have at the, at the end of the race as well. And then $6 on the registration system for online entries. And so once you put all that together, the Marine Corps charged $100 for entry. All of that stuff added up to about 158 to 158 Sponsors made up the difference between it, they said. So that was the breakdown of the course. So the list of the world's most expensive marathons, if you're thinking of going into any of these events, the most expensive New York City Marathon, and that has the hefty price tag of a 374 US dollar entry fee. Honolulu second, Boston, Chicago, LA, Orlando, Kyoto, Paris, 
Stockholm and Marine Corps rounding out the top 10. Interestingly, when you contrasted uh, European races only, or you sorry, UK races only, London was number 10. So even though it's the biggest and it's got the most hoopla going on with it, I suppose you describe, it wasn't as expensive because it was made up of a lot of charity donations, a lot of charity entries, and sure, they are putting a lot of money into the event, but just not quite the same component. And it pointed out that that's why a lot of marathons potentially are being sold to companies or companies are interested in buying them. They see the opportunity to make money out of these events. Now, I'm not sure about that because we have heard of different events not being able to make money, but interestingly, the cost or rather the entry fees of marathons have gone up by over 35% over the last seven years. So that was sort of their take on the cost of entry. Yes, I think uh, you know, often people think about costs and price as somehow that they are forever and, and must be linked, linked. and uh, certainly some people take that view. The old accounting view would, would say you work out your costs and then put something on and that there becomes your mm. price. Uh, a different perspective is to say, well, it's, a, it's about the value and uh, it starts with the value and then once you've worked out what the, what the value you're going to deliver is, then you set about seeing if you can uh, do that with a set of costs which enables you to make money, be profitable, mm. and that's, that's mm. when you do it. And so, lots of different variations. And of course, it, clearly the economies come in, economies of scale come into to these sorts of things. And probably the last thing I'd add to it is that I think we've seen um, increasing costs from government, police forces, etc., as these events are becoming more popular. And so, rather than just being the um, Oh, wouldn't it be lovely to have a race in our town and everybody will get behind it and support it? It then becomes a, another thing that happens every year and it's like, oh, well, we helped out the first few times but now actually it costs us time and effort so we'll start charging and so... Yeah, and I suppose with the US, the um, security cost is one of those that has escalated since Boston and more and more measures in place that then require staffing, equipment, uh, all sorts of modifications that didn't have to be. And then you don't have the, you've got the volunteer factor, which comes into play uh, as to the impact of that. And then you've got, well, in some cases, things like the the, the cleaning up and those approaches. The cleaning up was and a big, big factor. A good, um, good, interesting contrast, I think, between probably the two events that we saw on the weekend, the one that we ran, uh, which was a trail event where you know the, the principle of basically you know do no harm pick up your own rubbish keep it with you and whatever so you get minimal stuff left on the trail versus uh the melbourne iron man uh where they're just you know the competitors are just dropping stuff absolutely everywhere and you know, went went over the part of the course yesterday um and whilst you could see where they had cleaned up you could also see large areas where they hadn't is half half eaten watermelon and cups uh, and we actually saw it when we were walking. A number of competitors seem to think if you threw your plastic cup into the bushes that somehow that would be a better way of, I don't know, getting rid of it. So a lot of rubbish left. So they clearly, uh, in that case, a commercial operation, don't spend enough on cleaning up. Cleaning after up, that. yeah. All right. Sweepers. Um, the other one, which, which I think was related to that, which was, was an article, which was a bit, um, not to, it kind of does in part link to growing popularity and costs, 
is the increasing marathon race lottery. Oh, And yes. um, a lot of people recently uh, were in for the New York, it seemed that a lot of people were recently in for the New York ballot uh, to try to get into that. And just before we sort of talk a couple of little facts and figures here, um, we had the experience recently in trying to get into the Mount Fuji Ultra Marathon, yes. 168K, opened up, uh, I think it was March the 1st, and the horrific experience with the website of, you know, opened up at 12 o'clock Tokyo time, uh. and we keep getting thrown out, and it took us like 45 minutes to get through because the website kept freezing and having all sorts of problems. Uh, and I think part of the challenge here is you have these events, they might have a 1,000, they might have 20,000, 40,000 people um, actually entered, but when everyone comes along and tries to, you know, they have one entry day for the year, mm. everyone tries to enter and it just freezes the site and it causes all sorts of complaints and grief from people because they're frustrated. Yep. And, you know, I was here in the queue and then I got thrown out and then I missed out and all that sort of stuff. So one solution to that is the is the ballot or the lottery. And uh, just some facts and figures here that um, for New York, for uh, the guaranteed lottery, 14,000 326 people were selected by the lottery, up from 9,170 in 2014. Um, but they had 80,080 people applied. Wow. <laughs> so what sort of percentage acceptance rate is that? 18% got Gee. in. Um, and so there are some of the comments um, for people is, oh, I missed out. I don't think I could go through that again. But the whole experience of going through the ballot is quite um, mm. stressful for a lot of people. And that's leading him to say, well, look, I'm just not going to do those races. I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm a big subscriber to that theory that, that you know, maybe if you, if you do want to put in for these races, put it in, but, but but almost be planning a different race. And if you get the if you get the ballot to New York or to Chicago, then take it as a bonus rather than, you know, it's the race I must do. Um, so Because there's lots of great alternatives without all the hassle, a lot cheaper often, and, and you can plan accordingly. Um also, another race too. I, I just uh, along that in the the news, Pikes Peak Marathon, which is one of the extremely popular but boutique events. Now we're talking about 800 entries for the marathon in that particular event, and that sold out in two hours. So imagine being there uh, for our Fuji experience. There were 200 places for foreigners or internationals so we were on a pretty tight timeline and we felt we needed to really get in there quickly as well um, but yeah once again it does raise the question of how do you manage or how do your does your website manage that many entries trying to load up all at one time and clearly some races are better equipped to handle that sort of thing than others with their software and whatever it is, their red online registration system. Yeah, the other thing I think, which is a real challenge with the the ballot, is where you're going with a, or in our case, say a couple. Oh, yeah, that's But if you true, want to go yeah. with a friend or, or family member or something, and one gets in and the other doesn't, it's a real disaster. And the only one I've seen that handles that really well uh, is the UTMB, Mont Blanc, where they have a thing where it's almost like you're paired. And so if one of the small group gets in, then everybody's in. So oh, it's all okay, right. Um, so I think that's a nice little nice little way to do it where you enable people to enter in twos and threes. Um, so that Any get, idea how much your group can be? No, but mm -hmm. they don't get, I can't remember that, but they don't yeah. get caught with the, 
you know, oh. one half gets in and the other doesn't. Or two do and one doesn't. Oh, that would yeah. be awful. Yeah. All right. Uh, so on that note, we should keep on moving along. Um, and our next segment on this week's uh, partner running show is... Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page. Take it away, Sue. Well, the Ask Sue for today is about a term that you may have come across in your reading or your research or just some news about running. And it is the word ekiden. Now, ekiden is a term that is referred to as a long-distance relay event or relay running event. And I came across this term when I was looking at what are the upcoming marathons and I'd heard a few runners talk about it in their recollections or their uh, experiences with running, trying to make the ekiden team. And I wondered... I thought I knew what it was, or I sort of kind of pretended that I knew what it was, but really I just had a vague idea that it was some sort of relay. And when I saw that there was a, a big, big Akiden race in France on the weekend and that there had been and there were coming up in Japan, I thought, well, I might just actually find out what it is rather than pretend I know what it is. So typically on roads, the Akiden is a Japanese term originally referred to as a stagecoach or a post horse uh, event that transmitted communications by stages. So from one city to the other, trying to get messages through. And the first actual running race of an Akiden was held in Kyoto, well, actually, between Kyoto and Tokyo in 1917. And it involved runners transmitting their messages across over three days and 508 kilometres. And uh, it was to celebrate the transfer of the capital city uh, from Kyoto to Tokyo, to sort of honour that anniversary. So an Akiden can be a random distribution of distances. So as opposed to what we see as a relay event in the Olympics or uh, what we've run ourselves probably with four times 100 metres or four times 400 metres and every runner runs the same segment, Akiden varies the length of the sectors, as do the numbers of runners in teams. So, for instance, uh, in the National Junior Akiden Championships, um, you have six boys running over 18 kilometres, but different distances. And uh, in the high school sector, you might have seven boys running the marathon distance, but not all of them are evenly broken up in the distribution of distances. So an Akiden can be a short distance event. It might be 12 kilometres and the runners are broken up into, into numbers to cover that distance. Or it could be something massive. And uh, that might mean over 10 days with 72 segments, um, over 1,000 kilometres around a particular point. Now, relay, when we see marathon relays, usually they are broken down into roughly an equal distance for each of the competitors. Say we often see four runners running 10 kilometres or roughly 10 kilometres each. 
but an Akedan varies and as I said it can be varying stages of distance but it becomes then a very scientific formulation particularly when it is from one point to the other point like point to point run where some of the stages are flat some of them have hills um, some of them might be on different terrain some are short distances they might be as short as two or three kilometers and other sectors are long even up to half marathon and there's a lot of prestige particularly in Japanese schools where this is really taken off to select the strongest team possible and this means that it could be a high school it might be a college sometimes there might be towns competing against each other uh, prefectures or States competing against each other to try and have the honour of winning these Akiden. Some are open competitions, open to all age groups, and others are much more restrictive. Now, some countries have really taken on Akiden as being uh, something that is part of their culture. And in Europe, very popular, as I mentioned, in France, Belgium, New Zealand, very popular. Um, there are also um, Akedans in Honolulu um, in parts of the US as well a little bit different from just your usual cross country event where the honour goes to the winner and everybody does the same thing this breaks it down into different segments so as I said it is quite different um, the standard chartered marathon in Singapore offers an Akedan for instance and this is an example of six competitors participating over different distances so you've got your short runner that is going to run a fast short quick segment but then you've got some runners that are more predisposed to longer distances so it's a, also a significant tradition as part of the Akedan that runners pass a sash to each other so the runner currently competing wears the team sash passes it to the next person who wears it for the next segment and there are really strict rules involved in this as you would imagine with something that's been passed on through history that the order of the participants doesn't change what you publish as your order of participants doesn't change and no one can be substituted so if your runner gets sick the day before the event then your Akedan team cannot participate this is part of that um, intrigue about setting each person a different sector to run and teams start to get aware of the opposition and try and match or team match race uh, different competitors against each other so an Akedan is not just a marathon relay an Akedan is something that is put together with a lot more um, tactics a lot more sophistication into putting the team together than just runners number one two three and four participating in an event uh, so now I understand a little bit more about the Akedan and the significance and the way that some runners can be short distance specialists and some can be long distance running specialists and yet still be part of a even a, a national team to participate in Akedan That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue, please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at partnerrunning.com.
weekend was the annual roller coaster run, uh, just held in the Dandenong Ranges outside of uh, Melbourne in Victoria. And it's sort of, I suppose, you call it the sister run of the Two Bays Trail Run, which takes place in January each year. And for the first time this year, they've got the Wonderland Run, which is down in the Grampians and taking place at the end of August. So that'll be one of the three. But the roller coaster, aptly named for the terrain, which um, comprises quite a bit of down and up. And uh, there are two choices of events. There is the 21.5 and the 23K. Basically, 23, 43. 43, sorry, yes. Yep. Uh, one loop or two. And for the first time this year, the uh, second loop for the 43 people was a reverse loop. So in previous years, it had been do the one loop and then do the same loop again. This time, it was basically run to the finish line and then turn around and retrace your steps uh, back to where you started. So in reverse. So something mm. different. And it was a lot of fun. Look, it was a lot of fun. Uh, themed events are always a little bit of fun and the theme for this one was I suppose carnival or uh, what would you call it well circus carnival something along those lines with race director Rowan dressed as a jester and various participants out on the course dressed as clowns Um, also I suppose you'd call Kirsten's outfit an acrobat or a performer um, of that description. So lots of people out there in fancy dress and getting into this spirit of the occasion as well with a bit of fun and trying to keep a smile on their dial as they tackled some of uh, oh, some of the most challenging terrain I've run on for a while. Yeah, so the Dandenongs is beautiful views over uh, Melbourne and this year we were lucky, I suppose, that there was no no fog or mist, and you did get to take in all the views. Um, again, one of the highlights is of this race where it starts at the Sky High Restaurant is that um, starting sort of just after first light, you get to basically look down over the city of Melbourne and all the lights yeah. um, as it as it makes a transition from night into day. Um, lots of great volunteers, and we probably should just do a quick recap of. The results if you'd like to, to maybe do that too um okay so we've got the well women's 21.5 now i'm just trying to read is that incha incha urchana murray bartlett yes uh won the women's and adrian vincent won the men's 21.5 and then women's 43k winner joanne tough and i think that is a very appropriate surname for that course and Matthew Dore won the men's in a new course record time. Well, we, as we were hypothesising whether that was a new new course record or a an old a new anyway. Yes, it's, it's listed as the official course record of it is three forty seven uh, uh, forty one and and uh, Joanne in the women's also at four twenty seven set set the women's record as well. Indeed. So it was a record breaking day. They were pretty well ideal conditions. Um, if you wanted to make it a touch more perfect, maybe the night before you might have had just a, just a touch of rain just to take the edge off a few of the slippery bits, but uh, it was pretty close to perfect running conditions. It was. It was. And, uh, yes, there were a lot of people out there enjoying that too. Uh, about just over 500 runners in total allowed on the course and the split sort of more in the 21.5 than in the two-loop course. So I think we, we had a split. We thought there were about 180 or so uh, in the shorter, or am I wrong with that? I'm not uh, sure I think, I think, the it was, I think it was, uh, ended up being about 348 did the 21 and a half, 
and the 125 did the full 43. Right. So. Yep, a couple of injuries out there, as you would expect with trail. Um, it's always one of those things that, as you mentioned about the course being a little bit slippery and, uh, you know, it, it was such beautiful views. Maybe everyone was looking up and uh, and just missed their footing, those people that did have a bit of a slither. I think one of the things which which stands out for me about the roller coaster run, uh, aside from being a wonderful event, is the different perspectives on it. And so the, the, the overwhelming perspective, I think people... Um, it's one of the bigger races they do. For some people, it's their first trail or their, or their hard, the hardest trail race they do. So, so the hype around the roller coaster and and the hills and the, oh, it's so tough. Um, there is a lot of that, and so a lot of people see this race as, as really a wow. This is the biggest running challenge that I'm I'm taking on, and I couldn't can't possibly see how you could go around twice. Um, and then maybe for some of your more experienced um, trail runners, uh, it's kind of the terrain isn't. Train is very friendly. It's uh, not that technical, and when it's all said and done, if you compare it to a lot of the ultra running events, then the actual uh, climbing is nowhere near as bad as people would kind of had you to believe. So I'm not suggesting it's an easy race. Far from it. But um, it's possible to run for, it. for your novices. Mm. It's like wow, this is unbelievably hard um, for for people doing lots of trail things. You, you don't have to look too far find trail races which have got a lot more up and down in them so um, in that context it's, it's something for everybody for the for the new people wonderful tough experience for those a bit more experienced then you know you can you can go hard at it and it's a great it's a great event whichever your angle is mm. and there were quite a few people that we thought may have at the tail, tail end of the field may have actually been walking it so that was another perspective that you could go out there and hike it um, and get around one loop potentially in the time yeah, if you yeah, really push the you pace. have to push it I mean it's, yeah. it's got uh, I wouldn't say easy cutoffs they're fair yep um, so you know you, if you if you do the training you're going to get around the course uh, you don't have to be super speedy but at the same time you, you can't muck can't around, muck around you, you've got no. to be serious about it and you do have to um, you, know, mm. you do have to prepare yourself well and truly Okay, so well done to uh, the organisers and all the other volunteers who did a fantastic job and, of course, to all the runners and, and uh, spectators. Um, on that note, let's keep on moving along. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. Well... Our feature segment today is uh, we're going to revisit Couple on the Run, the eight marathons, eight countries in eight weeks, uh, our adventure from 2008. And I suppose, so maybe just a quick run through just to, to start off. We'll come back and talk about each one. But, but what were the eight marathons in eight countries in eight weeks? Okay, now the first uh, event was the iconic Comrades Marathon in out of Durban in South Africa and the second run was in Mauritius the third Rio de Janeiro the fourth Calgary in Canada the fifth Missoula in Montana in the US the sixth Patia in Thailand and the seventh uh, Swiss Alpine Marathon in Davos 
in Switzerland and marathon number eight in the beautiful town of Townsville in Queensland in Australia. So this was a, a wonderful adventure that we sort of set off on. We were away for just over the, the eight weeks, mm. um, probably away for close to nine by the time we, we got there and came back. But we, we probably should start out uh, by um, just talking a little bit about why, why we went and did eight marathons, eight countries in eight weeks. How did it come about? And I suppose the first part is, well, it was this sort of idea of we'd love to go and run the Comrades. And one thing led to another. It wasn't that, f- it was a few years after your first sort of father had sort of passed away and it was, and he sort of worked all his life, got to his mid-60s and was yet to retire and then, you know, I suppose had some unfinished business and I think that had a bit of a significant impact on you. Yeah, feeling as though uh, he'd been a top-level athlete all his life, both uh, as a runner, AFL footballer, um, squash player, triathlete, all sorts of things. And it was always, well, I'm going to do this when I retire and um, I'm going to have the ability to do this and that. And he hadn't been able to have that enjoyment. He'd sort of shelved it for something that he thought would happen down the line. And I suppose it's an example to all of us, but it did become particularly pertinent when both of our kids had finished school that there was the opportunity to say, well, okay, well, maybe this is a great opportunity to go, to do something that we've wanted to do. And if you put it off, who, who knows when you'll get the chance. Something will, something in life will intrude and may stop you. Yeah, so it all sort of was a bit of a combination of factors, wasn't it? That was one that was this, uh, well, we really want to do the, the comrades and that was a sort of a starting of the, we'll do a race, what else might we do? Secondly, as you said, kids in high school, so uh, in university, finished high school, so there was kind of a, they were old enough to, to not need us. Um, after more than 20 years of you know, seven day a week working as a CEO and all the things that go with that, um, I was uh, somewhere between reti- retiring and changing careers and looking to do something different, um, sort of to refresh and char- recharge. Um, and so it all sort of came together as the opportunity and then we sort of thought, oh well, um, how could we make a bit more out of this? We'd been doing a lot of work on the the notion of partner running and how you run to run together. So it was a good opportunity to um, test that, um, sort of tidy up the loose ends in the sort of that whole approach to running. Um, and I think we sort of we sort of said, well, if we're going to go to South Africa, why don't we go a bit further? And and I think we at one point we we got to like six six countries or six races or something. And uh, I was talking to a guy one day and he said, oh, it's a shame it's not you know eight. You know, you could round it off, you know, eight, eight, and eight, and so we sort of looked at how we could rejoined that. Do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, approached Oxfam, and we did it as a fundraiser and to promote Oxfam and this notion of healthy relationships and helping people by working together, and then it all came together with eight marathons, eight countries, eight weeks, one couple. Now, the other probably aspect of it in terms of the why was um, because we wanted to sort of promote this notion of partner running and encouraging healthy relationships was uh, to capture the story turn it into a book and this was at a time where I think MySpace was out and about um, maybe very very early Facebook but it was sort of it wasn't mainstream it wasn't the thing that everybody kind of used and so in essence we were blo- we blogged captured wrote about and blogged the whole story but wasn't 
as of we'd be used to today, putting it through Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all those sorts of places, Instagram as we went. So just in some ways, unfortunate, we just missed the social media wave, but maybe for next time. Well, also, though, the other way of looking at it is social media of blogging you're running, photographing you're running, of then loading the photos, describing the photos, is, as we know, quite time-consuming. So the time that would have taken you away from writing a more detailed account of your events gets channeled across to recording by immediate Instagram photographs, loading that. So it can almost become a full-time occupation of getting you running if you really are taking it to the next level. Well, I think um, going to eight different countries in eight weeks it almost got into a bit of a routine, didn't it? It was like we tried to arrive on a Wednesday or a Thursday, depending on the location, but certainly by the Thursday we were in our new location, so if there was a flight delay or any challenge, we would day up our sleeve. And then it also gave us time to rest. So we sort of, so we arrived on the Wednesday, Thursday, then it was sort of back Friday, we'd be sort of registering, getting ready for the race. Friday, Saturday, resting up. Sunday or Saturday, Saturday or Sunday would run. Then we do some recovery, um, maybe a, a tourist activity or two, some resting, and then fly out. And so a lot of the so-called spare time was taken up with writing, mm. with processing photos, with getting massage, getting the right foods. Uh, because unlike when you do one big event, you've got to worry about your food for that day. Um, when you're doing eight in a row, you've not only got to focus on the food before each race, but also eating well after as you recover it. So, for the miles we covered and the places we went, um, we had some touristy type events, but we basically it was, was, it was seven day a week flat out capturing the whole story. So. Yeah, and because we were travelling and, and continuing to sort of keep travelling around, we were a little bit mindful of luggage and we often found that we were trying to wash things out it's not like you, you're running one event, you come home then you do your laundry and you go. you've got to try and keep things clean and moving as you go with the minimal amount of packing space so quite a few running shirts and shorts and socks out there to dry for the next <laughs> week's event so um it's probably the next before we sort of make a few little comments on on each of the races and sort of revisit it in that sense um, is to maybe just talk a little bit about the training because it's one of the you know, popular questions is how do you prepare to to run eight marathons in eight countries in eight weeks and for I think for a lot of us um, we've had this notion of you know two or three marathons a year is what we're kind of meant to do and this is one of the big learning or, or uh, discoveries for us really I think we were fortunate and it was a little bit by accident that our first race was the Comrades Marathon because it kind of... How you trained for the Comrades Marathon, in essence, effectively answered the question, you run a marathon every weekend. Um, so the Comrades training was basically building up to the point where we were doing in-training run, the equivalent of a marathon each week. Yeah, and we were lucky enough, I suppose, in that training that we were incorporating some hills for some strength work. 
Um, we are also doing quite a lot of it on the terrain, so we absorb our bodies could absorb the training a little bit better. And those elements did kind of help with preparing for your strength, for your endurance, um, recovery, so that next week you could run again. So all of the components that go together to trying to put together one of those marathon a week efforts. So probably the, the notion or, or an important point here is that we ran and completed eight marathons in eight countries in eight weeks. We didn't go out to run eight PBs mm. uh, as super duper fast as we could in week. Um, so you know one of the things that I think when you're doing back to back and lots of events like this is is you're looking to run each one you know maybe five, ten, fifteen slower than you otherwise would, and and you're very much getting to a point. You know, I reckon about the K each week where it was like. Now it's all about next week, and so there was a slowing down. There was really working hard on, you know, walk breaks to get drinks, and and just being careful that we instead of pushing that last bit, we sort of back off just to make sure that we were giving ourselves ample opportunity. So the, the kind of the mixture of going a little bit slower and then doing the, the training for the comrades builds us up to our bodies being, you know, used to being able to run the, the sort of the four hour or so every weekend which was which was you know, was great so in terms of training a couple of probably key things which we did we did a thing called the Mansfield Tabula which is a 50k basically 30 30k on the flat or undulation 18k from the bottom of the mountain to the top of Mount Buller and then a 2k from the summit back so that was a, a big training run we um you mentioned earlier that kids had left school, had finished school, and so as part of our family sort of tradition for both kids, we did trip when they graduated high school. And for Shelley, we went to the Disney World um, Marathon or Running Festival where we did the Goofy. So we ran the half marathon with Shelley on Saturday, and then we ran the marathon. You and I ran the marathon on Sunday, so that was kind of part of the training. And then we sort of the other big one in this context was we did the Oxfam hundred kilometres. So to our winter comrades, we were we were. We'd done the distance, so to say. We'd been yeah. 100 kilometres and, and we were dropping back um, in distance, even though it was a much harder race. We were dropping mm. back in. We knew that we could at least go the 80 or the 89 k. And as part of the comrades' training, I know the uh, guru, Bruce Fordyce, says that often it's time on your feet rather than necessarily uh, the speed that you're running at or the distance even that you're covering. So by knowing that we could go... 16 hours or 14 hours, 15 hours, whatever it is, constantly moving on our feet in race gear was a big part of that endurance development. So really valuable training. Now we probably should uh, mention that the uh, what we do already, the couple on the run of the book is available via uh, our best 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 spot to buy around the world is via Amazon, um, uh, Amazon.com or in Australia I think. Amazon.com.au now, but I noticed when when I was checking it out that to to actually buy the um, the, the book the hard copy the the original uh, book you, you've got to go to Amazon.com and you can buy the Kindle on all the Amazon sites, but the actual book is there. So and, there and a couple on the run. And if you know us, we can uh, <laughs> we can sign a copy and send it to you. Yes, you can do that. Via right. Facebook, let us know. The other thing is, yes, or, info, or, or email us at info at partnerrunning.com if you are interested in buying a signed uh, copy. And the only real difference between the 
signed versions that, that we uh, we sell or you, or, or you can still get in some stores uh, around the world is that the um, they got the colour photos, yes. the Amazon version, which uh, from their warehouse they had a batch that are a non-colour photos just because of the printing costs for the different countries around the world. Okay, so let's let's just we, we want to sort of talk a little bit about each race, but without giving it all away because we do yep. want people to, to buy the book and, mm. and experience it. But so it started out off to South Africa and our first ever Comrades Marathon. It was an up from Durban to Peter Maritzburg. What What's one or two reflections? My probably my biggest uh, takeaway from this event, or my memories or reflection, as uh, is the atmosphere of the event and the excitement of the local people of the South Africans about the history of this event. And even if you're not from that country, that you get caught up in the atmosphere. And it's not just a snippet of a race as you come through the finishing line that you're aware of that. It's the lead up. To the event when you're there for a couple of days in Durban it's during this massive event 87 89k up to Peter Maritzburg that you're aware of your participating in something pretty special so that means the atmosphere yes I remember being because it's a, a road race and we've done the tour and we I remember being both it was like the, the feeling before your first marathon or your first ultra where you kind of what have I got myself into? There's this sort of nervous apprehension, almost through to a bit scared about the whole process. But at the same time, the expo, the history, the tour we had was like we were talking about coming back for our second year to run it before we'd even run it the first time. Um, and part of that lure is the notion of the back-to-back medal. So you can only get this on your first two times you can't do a, a comrades today and then in five years time come back and do back to back you've got to it's got to be your first your first two so i remember that got us in and then as you said the the people along the course and the, the whole atmosphere um and you know we got there in it was a 12-hour cutoff which is again is part of the mystique of the comrades that if you don't hit the 12-hour cutoff you're not allowed to cross the line you don't finish it's not as it's as if, it's if you weren't there and so to get there in in 10 hours and 17 seconds uh, up those hills was was quite magnificent quite magnificent and so um, we go into a course go into that in a lot more detail in in the book so from there it was uh, off to again somewhere where we'd never been and part part of the challenge here was as much we wanted to go to places we'd never been uh, before and so our next run was in Mauritius and we basically we, Mauritius for two reasons one it was somewhere we'd never been for it was um and it was close to South Africa but more importantly there were no marathons on anywhere in the world where we had any chance of getting to uh, to run on this weekend so we had to organize our own event and so Mauritius was a great place to do that because it was a sort of once in a lifetime chance to get mm. there uh, I can't remember now but probably two or three hours flying time from South Africa uh, and then we had to go mm. back to Johannesburg and, and fly off yeah. So yeah, your reflections not, on my reflections on this one is not a country that is used to or a place that's used to seeing runners out on the road, and uh, it was uh, kind of a bit hairy at various times running in Mauritius. I think they do now have a marathon, and uh, interestingly, it could have fitted in with the time we were thinking of running. So it's it's sort of a, a winterous time, but 
my memories are, are of a country or a place that was sort of like what mm. <laughs> when you're seeing you running beside the on the roads there. Yes, I remember we we we'd hired a driver and we'd gone out and we'd checked out the course and everything and and we had mapped out a number of places where we were going to be able to get drinks along the road and so we have to sort of stop off and buy a drink and stuff uh, it was a great plan except when we got to to race morning heading out early none of the um, stores which or places we'd identified were actually open and trading because because it's a, it a hot climate so we i think started running at five in the morning or something uh, but none of these places opened till you know eight nine and whatever else so it became a bit of a dry uh dry uh, event mm. but Shows what you can do. Beautiful. I remember it was on the side of this hill that we were running, um, a little bit like parts of Hawaii or some of those you know, Maui kind of thing, where you you're sort of up amongst the plantations and you can see you know a couple of k down the road to the ocean, and it was it was a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. So from there we um, via London. Via London, and again. One of those magic, unexpected moments, uh, Johannesburg getting on a plane. I'm not going to give it away here because it is one of the mm. key bits. But we, we met some, uh, uh, you know, one of the greats, all, one of the great people of all time uh, on the plane as we had, flew up to London. We did a beautiful tourist run around London, got, got off to the theatre and sort of explored that. And then uh, the real excitement of, and this was, the I think, part of the, the trip, which was, there was the real excitement each week as we were off to a new place. And so when I say the real excitement, well, it was real excitement going to Comrades. It was real excitement going to Mauritius. But uh, the next exotic sort of location was there in um, Brazil at Rio de Janeiro. Yes, and uh, Rio de Janeiro really does live up to the hype of people describe it as one of the world's most beautiful cities. It's almost hard to imagine that it is a city because of the magnificent beaches of Copacabana, Ipanema, um, and the, the landscape, the terrain itself. So I suppose what sticks in my memory of going to Rio, of running in Rio, was the actual course itself, just stunning. And we had a we had a great day of sun, like definitely a beach day, very warm, but uh, it. It just is one of those cities that you, you don't quite believe it's real. Yes, it was it was stunning views, and it's, I mean, as we've said, it's the only race that we've ever done where the um, runners. the runners are, mm. are really watching the crowd on the beach, as opposed to the crowd watching the runners. And so there were, you know, the beach was just full of people, whether it was volleyball or soccer or or just sunbathing or whatever else. It was quite quite spectacular, and I think as you know, at the time didn't quite realise. At first, but like some of those bikinis that the the Brazilian ladies wear are just quite spectacular. Um, and so I sort of uh, had the dark glasses on, checking it as I went past. But 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 then sort of looked across to notice that, well, it was just as much for you to be looking at as it was for me. Yes, yes, it was not. Uh, it was there was something for all for all at, uh, at at Rio. So that's sort of a little bit about. And of course, it's a great city to go to for sightseeing as well. And we do as you mentioned, we did try and do, you know, cross the Redeemer, Sugarloaf, all of the other tourist attractions in Rio. But um, you have to read the book. But it is a really, really exciting place to run and to be a tourist. I think one of the things that we um, really irks me, and it's kind of led to us taking the view, is that, and we've been very fortunate to run in so many different countries around the world, is that when we go to a place, um, and again, whether it's a little town or 
not far from where we live or in, or in the other side of the world is we don't go to run and judge the culture, the experience from the perspective of what it would be like in, you know, Melbourne, Australia or what it would be like in, you know, Tucson, Arizona. We don't take our kind of um, righteous Western well-to-do uh, middle-class values along and, and sort of judge these things. We just try to experience it. It is for what it is. And you see all these things that you think, well, geez, I'm glad I'm not, don't live here. I'm not part of this. But it's, you know, it's the old thing of, you know, unless you've run an altar in somebody's shoes, you shouldn't be, be judging them. And so Rio was one of those things where you, you just saw lots of things that you thought, wow, that's kind of not our way of doing it. But rather than sort of, I don't know, judging them or, or being negative about it, it was just like, let's we're just kind of like a fly on the wall. We're going to reflect and, and view it from that perspective. And, and I, there was one moment that I thought was quite st- uh, startling for us is we were getting taken to the race and five o'clock in the morning driving along the esplanade at, at uh, I think it might have been Copacabana Beach and straight through the red lights in the in the car and it was like what the heck's going on here and we started to get into that well yeah, you can't do this you can't do that but it, because of the the safety and security issues in Rio it's actually the law is that at that time of the day you're not allowed to stop at the lights because you can you know the risk of getting carjacked is, is greatly so in actually driving through a red light along the, the esplanade um, was the done thing as opposed to not the done thing so it was again a stark reminder of observe what you hear rather than judge what you hear because you put your perspective on it and actually might not not, not fit in this context so it's quite a lot of that and so it is, it is a place where you do need to be wary of your safety which is part of the contrast isn't it? so beautiful the scenery but at the same time that aspect of it. So from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, our next stop, our next race was in Calgary, but we had a bit, bit of a stopover in uh, Miami Beach. Yes, just a little bit of a stopover on the way through. And again, always, you know, you try and maximise your, or we do, try and maximise our tourist experiences as we do go to events and whether it's uh, an event that's fairly local or whether it's something that is an international event it's what else can we see what else can we do whilst we're there so from uh, via Miami Beach which possibly is the only way to actually get to Calgary or one of the few ways to get to Calgary in Canada and we arrived in the heart of stampede country now we were very lucky because at the time mm. we did it the Calgary Marathon was closely linked with the Calgary stampede and again something which we wouldn't know about unless you're into sort of road rodeo and, and country and western type things. But the the Calgary Stampede is a bit like the the, the Royal Easter or the Royal Melbourne Show, where um, all of the people come together in a huge showgrounds. And in this particular case, Calgary is you know, big on chuck wagon racing, uh, bull riding, and those kinds of things. So for us, from our little sort of Bayside Melbourne, it was a magnificent experience to to not only do the race but then to check out all those sorts of things yeah and i think the spirit of the event sort of got a little bit caught up in the whole notion of yeehaw <laughs> um that it is it, it added to the event for us that it wasn't just going to a canadian city to run that we were in the heart of uh 10 gallon hats and and all of that and hay bales and everything that went with it so um and this part of the world very friendly 
at quite a difference in safety contrasts. We felt, we did feel suddenly much more comfortable back into our comfort zone rather than out of it. Now, I remember I really struggled through the marathon in Rio and uh, when we got to Calgary, I just didn't get over the soreness. I was really in a bad way and so it was a really tough day out with my it was my right leg that as it turned out later was was the big problem. But it, Calgary was where it sort of... Uh, um, we became aware that there was actually something quite wrong because when it got to the point where all the other muscles had sort of recovered from, from last weekend's run, the leg didn't. And so that was something which was going to then live with us for the rest of the, the trip, make it part of the challenge. But Calgary was was magnificent. Uh, we then sort of had to come back into the US and we had, had a few days in uh, our good old Scottsdale, Arizona. Bit of a highlight there. We had that remember that we were driving down the road there and they were talking about this um, Prime Minister Rude uh, on a Rush Limbaugh on the US radio and of course it was uh, Kevin Rudd who was the Prime Minister of Australia at the time and so I remember uh, sending a note through and the next thing you know we were sitting by the pool at 11 o'clock uh, on the morning in, in Scottsdale, Arizona when I was talking on uh, 3AW to Ross and John uh, about uh, Prime Minister Rude and uh, had a couple of interviews with Ross and John through the rest of the trip as, they, as we tracked them so that was a kind of a a non-running but a bit of fun that broke up the tour, a uh, bit of excitement. And, of course, uh, went to that physio or massage place in Tucson, Arizona, who told me there's just a bit of muscle soreness in my leg, which was good to hear because that was an excuse to just keep on going before we arrived in Missoula, Montana. So what do you, what do you think about Missoula, Montana? Well, it was great to find a, a experience, a small-town USA. And small-town... Well, I suppose that's a way of call, calling uh, a town or a city that's got well, a fair few residents probably compared with what an Australian small town would be, but similar vibe to being in big sky country and Montana, beautiful open spaces, kind of a different cowboy experience to the well, falsified or intense cowboy experience, but really being out in cowboy country uh, and the hospitality, the... Uh, friendliness but also at the same time knowing that this was going to be a well organised well put together event and that's what I, I sort of take away the, the feeling of this huge open country sort of out in the middle of well in the middle of nowhere but in the middle of big sky country in Montana and experiencing a little bit of uh, just that middle America wild, not wild west exactly, but just that feeling of being right in the heart of cowboy country. And yeah, the, the other exciting thing in Missoula, of course, is we had uh, ABC or the American Broadcasting uh, Commission uh, with with Run. Uh, and yes, was our um, mm. our sort of reporter who followed us around and interviewed us the day before, and it was out there on the, the course and all sorts of things. So so that was kind of a, a nice little story or to document the the, the trip. Now from Missoula. We had a bit of a stop off in San Francisco, which was nice. Um, I remember standing there in the San Francisco Bay, freezing my legs off to get to try to, you know, overcome the soreness. And you know, about 20 minutes after this big ocean liner had gone past, all these waves started coming in, caught me unawares. So there's sort of a lesson there. Uh, but that was a nice, again, little stop off. And also, sort of a <laughs> being in South Africa and then Brazil. Mauritius to a degree we were kind of out of our comfort zone it had been very nice to be into US Canada and sort of 
the food, the language, the was the driving cars was the real comfort zone. And San Francisco was our last stop before we sort of headed off for another two weeks of something different. Mm. And so we went from there to um, to Thailand, flew into Bangkok, drove down to a place called Pattaya or Pattaya, depending on your yeah. um, <laughs> pronunciation. And uh, again, very tough, very hot. Yes, yeah, right into the humidity, the heat, uh, the sun. And uh, in this particular instance, the torrential, almost monsoonal rain for part of this event, which just added to the humidity when the rain finally stopped. Uh, again, out of our comfort zone and part of that consideration of food, of preparation for a race, when you're not kind of sure what's going to be out on the course and the lack of English in this case of trying to find out just ordinary things like are there going to be portaloos out on the course where do we go to pick up our race numbers uh, all of that sort of difficulty of communication and really not having as opposed to nowadays perhaps with social media it might be a little bit more obvious or able to understand we had to rely on getting to the event or email communications to try and send through and find out about this event but again uh, I love running in Asia. There's a lot of enthusiasm and uh, as well as disinterest perhaps from a lot of the locals, but those participants that are part of the run are very enthusiastic. I think some of those classic little stores with the, the um, guys trying to make your suits and everything, and nothing nothing better, being a bit of a, a music fan, uh, getting my photo taken outside of James Taylor, um, spelled T A I L. The great sign up there, James Taylor. So that was that was pretty impressive, and I do remember at the start, we're standing there going to the start, and the downpour hit with the storms. We had all the people, all the locals riding around on their motorbikes or like the family family motorbike or Vespers. You know, you'd have like a mum and dad and two kids on these little bikes, and the mother would be like have a kid on her back, another one in her arms, and she'd be holding the umbrella as the dad was driving along on their little Vespa. That was kind of crazy, and then we got to the start. And that notion of they made the big announcement in Thai that it was two minutes to start time. And then the English version came on and the guy didn't update his timing in his translation. So he was sort of saying, and it's uh, two minutes till start time. And he hadn't got past saying that when bang, the gun went off. And we were off. Yeah, so <laughs> he translated it literally rather than moved the time. That was just part of the, the many challenges of and excitement of mm. running in, in there. And so from there it was off to Switzerland. Yes, and this is an event that is just uh, magical up in Davos in the Swiss Alps. And as one would imagine, with Swiss organisation, it is meticulously planned, organised aid stations and transfer transportation from Zurich, uh, which is the nearest major city, to this Grabunden area. Um, and the scenery itself, just spectacular race organisation, difficulty of trail. What sticks out in your memory of this particular event? Well, uh, my biggest memory of, of the Swiss Alpine was actually sitting at home in the lounge room planning the trip. And this event has th basically three key parts. There's a bit more than that, but there's three main events that stood out. There was the 75K, There is, um, and then there was two marathons. And the way it kind of works is there's, there's the mountain, and one marathon goes through the valley um, and then the other marathon has a slightly different start but then goes 
a little bit through the valley over the mountain back to what was the the starting point so um in some ways it's a bit like saying 42 down 42 back but with a little bit of variation so you got a marathon down a marathon back or 75k if you do them both and and me saying oh we should do you know the harder marathon you know that'll be more fun the one you know whatever else and, you, and, you, and you're going come on we're doing eight marathons in eight countries in eight weeks let's just get it done this one looks pretty hard as it let's just do that and um when we got there well thank goodness that we listened to you and we did the the easy one because it certainly wasn't it wasn't that easy. easy there was a lot of up and down the hills a lot of the locals were you know, much better on the trails than us um and it was a really tough marathon to have done the over the the mountain one was mm. would have been quite challenging but it was great to go back there and do the semi oh look it would be amazing and uh you know as I said, about the organisation of the event. Our first trail running experience, apart from Oxfam, um, so we had at least run on a trail before, but since we've, we've changed our tune a little bit, but for trail of the greats, it may not have the cachet of you know UTMB or that sort of thing, but the Swiss Alpine Marathon is well and truly up there. Yeah, and it's because it's, it's in sort of... Uh, or June, July period, uh, it's the European summer. So, you know, Zurich, you know, sitting in the parks by the lake, you know, getting suntan, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, just being up in the Alps was cool enough to, to have a, a wonderful running yeah. event. I also remember because it finished at a, um, a track and seeing the sweep come in and the sweep was on the bike with, a, with actually the broom uh, taped to his back or strapped to his back as he came in. So that was the, the sweep extraordinary and of course they did have the cutoff times and all that sort of mm, thing so yeah a lot of excitement there um and from there it was home it was home to townsville now townsville is a great place to run the course itself is flat fast along a lot of it along the strand or out along the palaranda road where you can see the ocean uh, so it, there is that feeling of getting some sea breezes it's the first weekend in August, so temperatures going to be pretty much as cool as they can get in Townsville. And if you are a runner, this can be a fast race for you. Uh, so for qualifying marathons, all that sort of thing, it is an optimal run and just a great community vibe there with the Strand and the events there. Something for everyone. And that was my feeling. Uh, this was the first event that we'd done in this setup where I was very much aware of the 5K runners, the 10K runners, the half marathoners, as well as the marathoners out there. So to me, this was a running festival as opposed to some of the others, which were very much had the feeling of a marathon, a marathon event. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was, it was quite spectacular, and I think it's hard to describe, but the you know, being out of Australia for almost eight weeks um, and then coming back in was... Um, it was a kind of a special sort of feeling. You kind of, I suppose, became more aware of going home than, than you would if you were off on a... You know, you'd kind of more regular two or three weeks overseas mm. or ten days and then, you know, sort of a work kind of thing, whereas back, back home. So that was a lot of fun, and, of course... Family and friends came Yeah, family up. and friends flew up to run with us and be a part of the experience, celebrate with us. And uh, as anyone knows that's been away for a couple of months, as you mentioned, coming back in to your home country does create that uh, feeling of 
I didn't realise I was homesick until I got home or I appreciate my home so much more as a, after seeing different parts of the world, there are very few that would be easy to live in. Yep. So I think, again, a bit of a reflection on the old thing is a lot of people talk about you know, when they retire and they're going to do the big trip or they're going to go on their long service leave or do something like that. And it was great for us to sort of, you know, at, at early, well, in my case, early 40s, your case, maybe a touch older than we were, but to get, get out <laughs> Couldn't there. Couldn't resist. And, uh, and, and have that kind of trip and do the things which, you know, we might not be able to do in you know, another 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, so that's right. Great to get it done. And of course, we did then go back the next year and get our back-to-back comrades medal, which was a nice little bookend to that. And probably from a running perspective, because we had then trained up for that comrades and we've been able to do the the regular marathons there. That ever since then, we've sort of done probably your ten to fifteen marathons each year, mainly around Australia, but a few internationals. Um, and I think that's in part because we're sort of it's nice to go and experience all the ones in your own country and. I wouldn't say we're completely over the the big travel, but it's kind of the novelty of going constant planes and hotels is not what it once was. So it's nice to just enjoy that, yeah, the weekend trip to to Rogan or Apollo Bay or whatever it might be, and and to do that running and then to sort of start exploring trails and other types of events, more than just you know the road marathons are wonderful, but they're kind of limited in lots of ways and don't you know, take so many of them. Indeed. Okay, so. The last thing, again, just to say that you, you know, the book's there uh, via Amazon or email us at info at partnerrunning.com. My question for you, Sue, to finish it on or two questions, actually. First of all, yeah, standout memory reflection on the whole trip. The, the ability to almost not lose yourself in your running, but that it can become... Uh, all-consuming for you but to take time out to look at the other touristy attractions that are available around the world not just going to a place to run and it's all about being your running your splits whatever but take time to look at what's going on around you the way people are living and so for me it was seeing so many different parts of the world and different cultures and people and history yeah, I think a little bit linked to that is uh, I remember a moment in Rio where I dropped my sunglasses and I didn't even realise that I dropped my sunglasses and the, somebody had picked them up, this guy picked up on the camera sort of tapped me on the shoulder and handed them back to me and I couldn't speak a word of Portuguese and he couldn't speak a word of English but it kind of just demonstrated that sort of bond, sense of community of how running could kind of bring people together and put smiles on their faces and and build connections and things and that was a kind of a uh, just kind of captured the whole trip in in lots of ways um my next question to you is so if you had the opportunity to do something again of this kind of ilk um what would you do what putting together events or places to go to that i hadn't well it could be you know would you do eight marathons again in eight weeks would you do eight countries would you do what what sort of if you were if you're going to plan another big running adventure, um, what what would it be? Um, without yeah, I suppose just looking at the opportunity to go to places that I hadn't been to would be a big one there. But also, I think avoiding um, the big 
they said big marathons. It wouldn't be a I'm going to go around and do the world marathon majors as my my world tour. I would look at finding out about smaller events in unusual places that offer something to me that gives me a sense of excitement or history or um, something that is is out of the ordinary without putting myself through too much physical hardship. So, for instance, going down to Antarctica or up to the polar circle, not necessarily, but maybe going to the, the Bagan Temple Run or Luang Prabang or places that have got a smaller, more personal, intimate experience for the runner. Yep. Yeah, I think for me, um, I, I wouldn't be that keen on doing, you know, constant changing of countries and, and in and out of planes and hotels and that, that kind of thing. I, I kind of like the idea of, well, you know, was it the um, Camino de Real, the, the Great the Way, the Great North Walk, that sort of thing, where it's you know a thousand kilometres or a thousand miles, or whatever. we say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to run from one end of that to the other. I'm going to stay in the little hotels every night. I'm going to do that sort of thing. So it would be a wonderful adventure, but it would be it would be very different. Um, I like the idea of the getting the RV and just driving from race to race. Uh, event to event, you know, around sort of the whole Utah, Northern California, Arizona, that that kind of thing. So it'd be an intensive, wonderful running vacation, but not you know, getting on a plane from Thailand to, to Switzerland to South Africa to 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 whatever else. Uh, you know, going having six or eight weeks in Asia and just doing a different event each weekend there, where you're just travelling an hour or two by plane rather than and around so lots of lots of wonderful things that oh yeah to be done together. all right well so that's uh nice to sort of reflect revisit our uh eight marathons eight countries eight weeks and it certainly has opened up for us lots of um great running experiences and opportunities and, and demonstrated to us that we could do all these things which we didn't realize we could do and we're sort of continuing to to do more and more of them as <laughs> yes. we okay so on that note we should uh bring to a close another show with our um final segment of the week and again just just reminding that uh, if you're after any info on a uh, couple on the run email us at info at partnerrunning.com the road ahead join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events it's getting busy it's uh, the weekend before easter when there are very few running events on so pretty busy out on both the trail and the road in the northern hemisphere in particular as they come into spring drents freeze in the netherlands the emerald isle in north carolina forest gump challenge and i'm not sure what that one is in missouri golden gate headland trail griffith park trail there's Entreprise, I suppose I should say, in Burgundy. Um, the Pilot Mountain Paypack Marathon in North Carolina. Running the Shoals in Alabama. Saaltal in Germany. The Springer Diester in Germany. Trailbreaker in the US. Two Rivets in Pennsylvania. Um, the Body First Wicked Marathon in Kansas. Yakima River Canyon, uh, well-known one. We've actually looked at that one. It's very difficult. Ann Arbor Marathon, B&A Trail, Freiburg in Germany, Hogeye in Arkansas, Knoxville in Tennessee, Limassol in Cyprus, 
Missinet in Greece, Modesto in California, Ocean Drive in New Jersey, Tomoka in Florida, UNESCO Cities in Italy, the Virginia Creeper in um, Virginia, where else, and Zheng Kai in China. Now, they are some of the marathons I've got listed. I'm sure there are lots of other ultras, trails, shorter distance runs as spring and autumn are really taking hold yes. in various parts of the world. And it seems on the, on the local front, people are gearing up for you know the Buffalo Stampede, the uh, Anzac Ultra, where we're doing the 300k up there, and of course the Australian Running Festival and the Canberra Marathon is sort of the, on the go. And not too much further down the horizon is the Brimbank Park uh, running a festival again one of the sort of I think it's the hidden treasures of, of certainly Victorian uh, marathon running and a beautiful 50k quite fast course there too but for uh, people looking for a, an April marathon uh, along the Maribyrnong River through the park it's quite spectacular so hopefully we'll be able to run then after doing the 300 yes, definitely fingers crossed for that one because it was a lot of fun last year and it, as you say it is that feeling of it's a hidden gem. You don't realise you're that close to the city when you're in the middle of this big park area. So a really pleasant running experience. Okay, well, thanks very much, folks. We'll see you next week on the Partner Running Show. Thanks, Sue. Have a great week and uh, happy running, everyone. You're listening to the Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by partnerrunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine.